Welcome to the Raindrop Corner Podcast, an affirming space for people who seek to enrich the human experience. This is a place where real-life superheroes and creatives get to share their magic without censorship. And I'm your host, Kay. This was a really exciting episode for me. I got to interview someone who I have admired for several years now. This week's guest was Jenna Morassi. Jenna Morassi is a number one best-selling author. She has a very successful YouTube channel where she advises writers on craft-based information and just um, tidbits of things that she's learned during her time in the industry, be it as an author or as a writer in general. And I just really enjoyed the deeper levels that we were able to kind of traverse to in this conversation. A lot of times as a creative, not just a writer and an author, but as a creative, you are met with a lot of opposition of people belittling you or patronizing you or stating that being a creative in general isn't lucrative. So I really enjoyed the conversation around Jenna talking about how she navigates that and also giving us a glimpse into why she does what she does and dispelling some of the common misconceptions around writing in general. So I hope that you all also enjoy this episode and without further ado, here is an ode to our guest. The real reapers look like you, not supernatural beings brandishing curved blades. They have silky voices and give good hugs. They resemble brochures and curt advice. They are the slow death disguised as life. They are the echoes in your ear, invisible hooks that lacerate flesh, an infection that will not kill without submission. Yours. The Reapers are the demons under your bed, the people that drove you to school, the stranger that said your desire wasn't real. We smite Reapers here. We dismantle them limb by limb. We claw and scream and howl. Our blade is sharper. Our call is louder. Our need is greater. We kill Reapers here. We rip open uncomfortable and unfathomable wounds. We paint in our own blood as if making a work of art. We are art. We write. We write. We fill up our cup, feed that incurable hunger, dance at firelight. We find our people. We kill reapers here. We kill reapers that look like you. Today on the Raindrop Corner podcast, we have Jenna Morassi. I'm going to out myself right now. I've been a cyborg, which is the nickname for anybody that supports your content for probably about six years. <laughs> um, <Wow>. So <laughs> I um, I really, I really enjoy your content and I was really, really excited to talk to you. And wanted to talk about some of the things that maybe you don't quite get to touch on as much. I'm going to give you a brief description and then <laughs> we'll kind of elaborate from there. But you are a best-selling author. Most notably, your works are The Savior's Champion and The Savior's Sister. Awesome books. You should all go read them. Um, you run a very successful YouTube channel, Writing with Jenna Morassi. And you also have several lessons that you have that center around writing and self-publishing. I just want to say, how are you doing? What are you excited about nowadays? Um, for me, I just recently 
um, well, let me backtrack a little bit. Um, for those who aren't super familiar with my platform, uh, while I've been growing my platform and releasing books and growing this business, um, my fiance has been struggling with a serious spinal cord injury um, that eventually turned into CRPS, which is a chronic pain condition. And so I've sort of been juggling being a caretaker as well as being a business owner and a writer and all this stuff. So it's been a lot of nonstop go mode, just work, work, work all the time. And I would say it was only in the, toward the end of 2021 that things started to kind of mellow out. Um, Cliff, my fiance, reached a pinnacle in his recovery where he actually started to improve significantly very quickly, which meant that... Yeah, this is very, very exciting. So it meant that, um, you know, he didn't need nearly as much help as he used to. And he was also able to be more active and helpful, like around the house. And also, uh, my business and my book sales started to, I mean, they were doing well for a while, but it finally reached that point where it was self-sustaining. And I didn't have to work as hard to, you know, to, to make all the money come in. And it was around that time that, you know, I officially became, you know, a six-figure author. Mm-hmm. I was able to move into uh, a new house, and it's, you know, my dream house. And so now, right now, what I'm excited about is being able to do what I love without, um, <laughs> like, just, you know, digging myself into the ground, you know, without burning myself out, you know? So I'm really excited that now I'm in this place where I can hopefully write books and also relax and, you know, put some emphasis into self-care and just, you know, like if I want to have a day off, I can have a day off. <laughs> I, I wasn't able to take days off for years. So this is, that's exciting for me. That makes me happy because I was just about to ask you, how do you balance it all? Because you wear a lot of hats. And just from, you know, what I knew about you from your channel, I knew that you also were a caretaker as well. So I think that's awesome that you get some time for you and it's just a more lax time while you're still able to do what you love. And something that I wanted to ask about is a lot of your content centers around nourishing other authors. So with that being said, I would like to know what your relationship is with storytelling throughout your life have you always wanted to tell stories or is that something that manifested later i i've wanted to be a writer since i was six years old um in the first grade uh, and once a week we would quote unquote write books they were just you know construction paper we would find them and we'd read them to the class my very first book was about a funeral for cats um my teacher had to have a serious conversation with my mom. She was concerned. Um, but, you know, from that moment on, I was hooked. I wanted to tell stories. Um, I wanted to tell, uh, you know, maybe a little bit twisted stories, which as could be seen by my very first book. I wanted to tell adventures and romances with some, you know, violence and action. And it's just something I've always wanted to do my whole life. Um, and I, I, I basically began studying storytelling at an early age, honing mm-hmm. my craft. Um, I would watch movies even as a kid and be like, oh, that's the breaking point, and that's the climax, and this is, you know, where he almost fails, but now he's going to succeed. Um, and it, it's just been literally my lifelong dream. Obviously, there were, you know, dips in the road where, you know, being a writer is one of those jobs that a lot of people are like, you can't make money doing that. Mm-hmm. It's, you're never going to be successful. So there were 
you know, periods of my life where I paused writing because I was so discouraged by what other people were telling me. And uh, thank God I didn't listen to that long term and I eventually gave it a shot. Um, but that's also part of the reason why I try to help other authors is because I know what it feels like to be trying to navigate this journey all by yourself and having no support you know, anywhere else. The only person who has ever supported my writing before I became a published author is my now fiance Cliff. He's the only person who was like, yeah, I, I believe in you. So um, yeah, that's, that's why I kind of geared my channel towards, you know, that sort of avenue is because I sort of look at my life like be the person you needed when you were younger. Mm-hmm. So I would like to, you know, it's, it's not hard for me to explain to someone how to write a climax or to tell someone how to outline a novel. This is all easy stuff for me. And if it can help someone else, then why not? I think it's needed too, because you're also very transparent about your journey, which I love because, you know, a lot of people don't talk about the lack of support as writers, especially when you're younger, you kind of have to you have to find your people, so to speak, your other writer friends. And sometimes you don't have the luxury of being able to do that depending on what your life obligations were. So I'm glad that you were able to stick with it. And with that in mind, what was your turning point where it kind of went from something that you were passionate about, but you kind of did on your free time to something you wanted to do professionally? Because I know that you modeled and you worked in accounting and you were a stockbroker for some time. Right, super industries that are so closely related to writing. (laughs) Well, what happened was by the time I got to college, you know, I had been kind of beaten down and told that like writing would never be a career for me. It was just, you know, I I even had my seventh grade teacher said in front of my seventh grade math teacher said in front of the whole class, like if you pursue writing, you will be a homeless failure. And just, you know, everyone's sitting there watching you while you get humiliated like that. So by the time I got to college, I kind of had accepted that writing is just a fun thing that I do and it's not going to be a career. Um, and I was good at math, so I got my business degree, and I became a stockbroker. And after I was working that job for a couple of years, I remember coming home from work one day and thinking, this is it. This is going to be my life. I am going to come home from a job that I fucking hate every day and just sit with a glass of wine, you know, cherishing the few hours I have away from this soul-sucking job that I cannot stand. And so I thought, you know what, I, I can't live like this. I need to at least try to write. Even if I fail, that's okay. At least I know that I gave it a shot and that I know that, you know, even if it is a failure, at least I know, well, they were right. It's not possible to make this my career. So while I was working as a stockbroker, I started writing my debut novel. I would write it on the weekends. I would write it after work. If my boss left, I would write it at work. Not saying that's a good idea, but that's what I did. Um, And I I just, my goal was hopefully this can be a lucrative part-time job, a side gig that makes me some money. Um, And now, fast forward several years, um, now I'm making a lot more money as a writer and YouTuber than I ever made as a stockbroker and that I ever could have made in that industry. And um, it just goes to show that, you know, just because people are saying that things are a certain way and yes, creative jobs are difficult because they are very, because they're very coveted. A lot of people want a creative job. There's a lot of, you know, competition mm-hmm. and it's hard to stand out. Just because that's the case doesn't mean it's impossible. You know, you, you do want to go into it realistic. I think I had a realistic mindset of this can be a lucrative part-time job. Um, I'm very fortunate that I was able to make it a lucrative full-time job. 
but there's still always a possibility, especially if you go into it knowing that at the end of the day, this is a creative job, it's art, but it's also a product that you have to sell. So even though, uh, you know, being a stockbroker wasn't my passion in life, I'm still glad I went to business school because I learned how to eventually sell my books. And that's part of the reason why I'm at, you know, where I'm at today. I was going to say it probably gave you a lot of really neat skills that you were able to kind of channel into what you did. Because just the way you kind of break down how marketing works for books, it definitely shows. As you were navigating wanting to write, going into a different industry altogether, and then deciding to go ahead and get the book published anyway, what were some of the biggest untruths that you learned about yourself during that time frame? Um, I think one of the biggest things I learned is that I needed to... um, listen to my gut more. There were a lot of things that, oh, I, I took a lot of advice, a lot of, you know, facts, yeah. quote unquote facts that you see about <laughs> the writing industry floating around the industry, I mean, floating around the internet, and um, I followed them, and it's also part of the reason why I started my channel is to kind of correct these, these misconceptions, mm-hmm. um, but I listened to a lot of crappy advice, and as I released my book and started to get reader interaction and things like that and reader feedback, I realized that had I been trusting my gut and my instincts, I could have avoided a lot of uh, the mistakes I made early on. Uh, the most obvious one for me is that, and this is one that's, this is a misconception shrouded in sexism, which is wonderful. We love to see it. But, um, <laughs> you know, I, I, I really enjoy writing romantic relationships. Mm-hmm. And when I first started my debut novel, I was like, oh, well, I'm, I'm embarrassed that I want to write this, you know, romantic subplot. I hope people don't make fun of me for it. I know it's not cool or whatever and it ended up being um the part of my story that people enjoyed the most that I got the most praise on and people were loving it people were buying the book for the romantic subplot and I rem- and then I started researching the industry and I learned that romance is the number one selling fiction genre by miles that no other fiction genre can touch romance and it's super popular but everyone's hating on it while romance authors are drying their tears with their dollar bills <laughs> they so, are becomes integral to to show people kind of like you talk about a lot that there's not just one right way to do things and just because this one author who sells who's a new york best time seller sells all these books and says this is how you should write that is not a blanket for everyone exactly a good example of that is that i really love to outline Mm -hmm. and um you know there's there's two camps there's outlining and then there's quote-unquote pantsers which are people who write by the seat of their pants they don't plan anything they just write i will always say that i definitely recommend outlining and that a majority of writers do need to plot and plan their story ahead of time in order to be able to finish the book because it is possible if you're writing by the seat of your pants it's very very likely that you'll get to a point where you're stuck and you don't know where to go you kind of write yourself into a corner that said just because i believe a majority of of writers should outline their book that doesn't mean all writers have to outline their book there are always exceptions to the rule some people you know pantsing is totally working for them and if that's the case that's fine and that's something that I like to mention on my channel is that even if someone says this is a you know a writing rule or this is a writing advice 
for a lot of writing rules, not all of them, but I'd say at least 75% of them, it's like most of the time. This is a rule most of the time, but you, you have to go into it knowing that there are always exceptions. For example, I, um, I also tell people that it's good to write your rough draft and then edit it later. Mm-hmm. Um, because if you edit while you're writing, you might get stuck into that cycle of just editing and editing and editing and never finishing. That said, I edit as I, as I write my rough draft. I don't even follow that rule because I, if I do the opposite, if I just write the rough draft and don't edit as I go, that will stop me because I won't be able to stop thinking about all those mistakes. I do so, it too. And I'm an right. editor, which makes it worse. <laughs> get it. So for, for, for me, it's like, this is a perfect example of, yes, something can be like work for the majority, but there are always going to be exceptions to the rule. And just because something is considered standard or something is, con- or, or, you know, a famous author is saying, this is how you should do it. It doesn't mean you have to do it that way. At the end of the day, you have to write Agreed, because there's just, there's so many different forms of writing out there. And I remember I was talking to a writing group recently that I'm in. We had like a little weekly meetup. And one of the biggest things that was being expressed in the group is just like, what do we do when the writing the book isn't fun anymore? What do we do when it's just very stressful? And a lot of things that came up were like revision, marketing. A lot of it was marketing and like not knowing how to promote yourself or how to start an author platform. I know you have like a lot of videos on all of these topics, but in a general sense, for someone who kind of is not feeling the fun of writing, so to speak, what would you tell them in terms of how to navigate that? Maybe things they could do. The one thing that I usually say is nothing, it's not gonna be fun the whole way through. A lot of people will be like, oh no, does that mean that I've lost passion for this story? Does that mean I don't care about this story? And if you're a hobby writer and you're just doing it for fun, then that's it's fine to stop and move on to something else. But if you're trying to get a book published, let it be known. It's not going to be fun the whole way through. There are going to be parts of every single story you write that you are not in the mood to write. Like, for example, I hate writing transitions. I find writing transitions super boring. Oh, they're the but worst. <laughs> Right? But you can't write a book without transitions. They're mm-hmm. necessary, you know? So it's, it's got to happen. And then sometimes you just don't, you're just not in the mood. You just don't feel like it. You're not motivated. Um, if you are trying to publish and eventually make money off of this, you need to hold yourself accountable and treat this like a job. Um, so on days that you don't feel like going to work, you don't call in sick. If you did that every single time, you'd get fired. Mm-hmm. And if you do that every single time with your book, the book is never going to get published, which is kind of like getting fired. From <laughs> That's true. So my advice is just, you know, if you can, if it's a healthy situation to do so, power through. Usually it's just about getting over a scene that you're not excited about. And then you can remember, you know, maybe in the next scene they get to finally kiss. And that's super exciting. Just get through this scene and then you can get to the good stuff. Or if you really are completely burnt out, it might be a good time to stop and think, am I, you know, working myself into the ground? Do I need a break? It could be something mental health related. It could, you know, are you dealing with depression and anxiety or something like that? It could be, have you been working nonstop on this every single day for months and now you are just tired? If that's the case, it's it's also a good idea to learn to pace yourself and to um, 
be honest with yourself and what your body is telling you. Maybe you need to rest. It's just just a thought. That one is so important. I've seen it with clients a lot where they're just working so hard to get it done. And it's normally clients that are on a timetable, but it's like a self-appointed timetable. And as a result, they get burnt out with the story, but they're the only person kind of pushing themselves into having to finish something quickly. So that is wildly important. Mm-hmm. and ask yourself am I being lazy or am I burnt out and there are, there are very different feelings and you've got to be honest about which one it is because sometimes a lot of people who are burnt out will tell themselves I'm just being lazy I'm gonna power through and a lot of people who are being lazy will say oh but I'm burnt out and it's like come on <laughs> you know? like, so, so it, it is important to be honest with yourself about which camp you're in definitely agree with that it's I think it's also very easy to get the wires crossed too because sometimes people go into writing just assuming that the words are going to come especially if they're coming in like this continuous burst and then you're like what the fuck it's day five and I don't know what to write on this page anymore yeah and, and that's also understanding that as you write your book especially if this is your first time you're going to learn that certain things are way easier for you than other scenes that even if you can perfectly visualize it in your mind it doesn't mean it's gonna pour onto the page um i learned through writing that the easiest and um the most effortless scenes for me are usually banter humor dialogue anything that is about bonding and forming relationships so Mm -hmm. romance those are the things that for me i'm able to just get on the page easily but then when it comes to action um fight scenes things like that that I always need to spend a lot of time crafting and honing. And it's funny because a lot of people who read my work, I have a lot of action scenes and they'll be like, wow, you're really good at action. And I'm like, thanks, it was hard as fuck. You know? <laughs> but you, yeah, as you write, you, you learn. You learn what's, what is gonna be quicker and easier for you, what's just gonna be like words spilling out of your fingers. And then you learn, okay, I'm at X, Y, Z type of scene. I need to be realistic that this scene might take me a week as opposed to that last scene took me an hour, you know? So you're going to learn sort of the flow of your own process. It's also encouraging to just kind of like find a group of people or just people who can kind of help you along that journey because it's normal. Like you said, you're you're really good with dialogue and scenes that involve people bonding. I'm very similar to that whereas i also struggle with action and i'm like bleeding at the computer while writing it yeah i think it's good to especially i think it's really important to make writer friends you don't need a million you just need a couple because they understand the struggle and you can vent to them about the frustrating times and obviously you can get feedback and critiques and i think it's also helpful to get critique partners who are strong in areas that you're weak and you're strong in areas that they're weak because then it's like you know I'm, I'm really struggling with I don't know let's say you struggle with romance um, I'm really struggling with this romance can you please read over the scene and tell me if it needs any help whatsoever especially because if the critique, critique partner is really good at that they probably really enjoy that mm-hmm. so they'll have fun reading over one of my critique partners um, she's not super confident in writing romance and so she'll be like Jenna can you please you know read this first kiss and I'm like absolutely <laughs> sign me up I'm super excited and then it's easy for me to tell her, okay, this is, you know, this is good, but this part needs to be tweaked, you know, 
too much tongue or something like that. <laughs> I love it. As you're writing and just doing everything that you're doing with all of this in mind of just like kind of navigating the not fun part and acknowledging and being self-aware of what your strengths and your weaknesses are. What is your superpower? Like what allows you to navigate through all of the things that you do? Uh, trauma. <laughs> <laughs> that's a good answer. That's a good fucking answer. <laughs> I think that's part of it, to be honest. I think one part of it is that, first of all, I, I guess it's kind of threefold. One part of it is I'm extremely passionate about storytelling. This is something I've literally wanted to do my whole life. So I look at it like, holy crap, I get to write stories about people falling in love and people murdering people and then like magic <laughs> for a job. This is my job. This is how I make money is make-believe essentially. So that's super exciting. I'm very, very passionate about it. So that helps drive me forward. Um, another thing is I'm very grateful that I get to do this as a job because not a lot of people are fortunate or lucky enough where they get to um, do something they love to make money. That's mm-hmm. rare and I recognize that privilege and I feel like it would be kind of shitty to sort of squander that and just like let it peter out it would almost be a shame it's like so I'm very very grateful I'm grateful for my readers and I want to make them happy and I want to give them more books um but then when I go back to the trauma you know like uh, you know growing up uh you know things were tough being you know a neurodivergent girl during a time where no one thought girls were neurodivergent mm-hmm. and you know, being bullied and all that stuff and having no one really believe in you and believe in your success, it gets to a point where you get this mentality of either I can be a victim or I can let all this crap fuel me. You know, it's kind of like, I, I don't joke, but I'm, ha- I'm 75% serious, but spite is a great motivator. You know, there's this feeling, at least when I first got started, there was this feeling of I need to prove everyone wrong. So, you know, all these people who said I couldn't do it, this will be my middle finger to them. So that really kept me going through the start. You know, I felt all this immense pressure that my debut novel needs to be successful because I need to show everyone who treated me like crap, who didn't support me, who, you know, told me that this was worthless. I I need to prove to them that they were wrong. And that's not really my motivation anymore because I feel like I've I've already done that, you know. But I do think that uh, for a lot of people uh, who are in similar situations, most of the writers I know are actually neurodivergent in some way mm-hmm. um, or, or have, are going through some similar situation of, you know, not being respected and, you know, being sort of looked down on. Um, you can sort of, you know, wallow in that. That's not the best word, but you can, you can, you can let that push you down or you can fuel, use it as fuel to move forward. I have a lot of respect for that and just being honest about it too. I was talking with a poet friend of mine, more of like a mentor, and um, I asked her, I was like, how do you just, I don't know, she speaks words and it's fucking magic and it lights up a room. And I was like, how do you just, how do you do that? And she was like, I went through a lot of shit and I figured out a way to channel it. And you know, that also kind of resonates with me as well. Sometimes when you go through trauma and you learn how to cope and to navigate things, it gives you like a deeper insight into the mind. It suddenly becomes easier to write this character or to give this asshole in your story like layers or just different elements of that. It makes you stronger. It makes you more resilient. 
as unfortunate as it is that anybody had to go through that, what is your dream for, well, let me rephrase. What exactly do you want for your future? What is your goal for your platform and your professional life? Well, to be honest, my original goal, I I try to set little like goals and steps, kind of like a ladder. Mm -hmm. Um, And I don't look beyond that next step. Um, So my first goal was just making this a lucrative side job. And then when it became a full-time job, my next step was making as much money as a stockbroker. Um, When that was reached, it was like making as much money as I made as an accountant. When that was reached, I was like, okay, let's, you know, become a six-figure author. When that was reached, I was like, let's double those previous (laughs) ones, you know? So when those, that, for for me, it's always been, it's always come down to being able to support myself and my family Mm -hmm. and going from living paycheck to paycheck to living comfortably. And now I'm in a position where, you know, I, I am living comfortably. So now it's, more so like I just want to tell a lot of stories you know Mm -hmm. I want to I want to get to a place in my career which will involve making more money because it will involve hiring staff Mm -hmm. Um, but I want to get to a place in my career where I can focus just on writing books and you know filming some videos and the back end is taken care of completely and I'm getting there I have two I have two assistants um and they they're amazing I just absolutely adore them yeah, exactly. It's like, I never thought I'd do that. <laughs> I have two assistants. But, so it's slowly getting there. But ultimately, my goal is to be in a position where I can be releasing books all the time. And I just I just want to release as many stories as I possibly can without burning myself out. And as cheesy as it sounds, I just want to be happy and, you know, content with my little family, my guy and my dog. And, you know, I just, I just want to enjoy the rest of my life. Now, now that the monetary goals are here and I'm in a comfortable position, it's I just want to tell stories and be happy and like leave a positive impact with my channel. You know, I feel like Cliff is always saying like if, if you have this big of a platform and you don't use it towards anything positive, like what the fuck is the point of it? You know, so that's why I try and run charity drives and things like that and obviously give a ton of writing advice. I just feel like if if I if my voice is being heard, might as well use it to counteract some of the negative crap that a lot of people are viewing from their platforms. I think it's it's something that you don't necessarily see a lot or it feels very performative sometimes when people will do it. So it's really nice to see it. I mean, I've seen other people definitely do it from the heart, but it's just refreshing to see um, someone who truly kind of cares about giving back and in more than just like a charity or a monetary way but empowering people to kind of find their voice and understand just different nuances of the journey that people might not talk about all the time tell me a story what what is a moment in your life (laughs) what is a moment in your life where you were drastically influenced (laughs) all of my (laughs) Okay. So, uh, being neurodivergent and being the type of person who's very, like, obsessed with storytelling, I'm the worst person to watch a movie with. I'm the worst person to be like, read this book, read my favorite book, you'll love it. Because I've studied all the nuances to the point where I really can't, like, I, I love to read, 
enjoy it, but my reading experience is not the same as the average reader's. I, I am so fixated on analyzing everything that they're doing. I notice every typo or missing comma, and I, I'll be like, oh, they put the breaking point in the wrong spot, or oh, this would have been more, you know, powerful if they had it over here. Like I, I'm that annoying asshole. I'm the person who watches the movie, and the movie just starts, and I'm like, I know how it's gonna end, and they're like, shut up, shut up, just let us enjoy things. So that said, and it's been that way since I was a little kid. Um, so I enjoy books and movies and things like that, and I read a lot, but it's a different experience for me. Um, the exception to this is in about the fourth grade, I read the book Ella Enchanted, which is this, mm-hmm. you know, very famous Cinderella retelling. I and love that, that book. Is, yeah, I know, it's adorable. <laughs> and to this day, that is the only book I can think of that I, you know, people talk about book hangovers and things like that. That's the only book I can think of that I had that reaction to, where I was just so in invested in everything. I remember my mom needed to run groceries at night and she didn't like going to the grocery store alone mm-hmm. because it's nighttime time and she's a woman. And so we were in the car with her and I had to have her leave the light of the car on so I could finish reading Ella <laughs> and she had it in the car and I was getting car sick. And I just remember reading that book and loving it so much and being so invested in it. And that was a turning point for me in my writing career where I thought, this is how I want to make other people feel with my writing. And I just never forgot that feeling because it influenced me in the way that I didn't relate to how other people feel when they read. I didn't really get that experience. And then I finally experienced it and I was like, I get it now. This is the goal. This is what I'm aiming for in my own writing. I don't want to rewrite Ella Enchanted. You know, my stories are a lot more adult. But I want to, I want to, uh, you know, have my readers have that same emotional experience, have the same investment in the characters. And it's just something I've, I've never forgotten. And it, it totally changed my writing journey. I love it. I feel like every time you have that moment where you're just so engrossed in something, it just unlocks something in you. Your book was cooler. Mine was The Hungry Caterpillar in the Rainbow Fish book. Thank you. I love that. I think that's pretty cool. I mean, I used to to hate writing, but I loved reading. And then I was like, I'm going to write these kinds of stories because I equated writing to like, I live in Florida, so we had the FCAT back then, which was like our just our standardized writing prompts. And I realized that there was other writing that exist outside of academic writing. <laughs> but the other part that I wanted to kind of cover is, and I won't ask any more philosophical questions, I promise. <laughs> but if you had like a personal manifesto for yourself, what would it be? try to live my life by and um that is I think I mentioned it earlier the um be the person you need to be when you were younger Mm -hmm. um and there are times where I kind of feel like um maybe a little burned out by my platform or there are times where I feel like I help a lot of people and maybe you know every once in a while you get that feeling of like is it appreciated and Cliff will remind me like you are being the person that you needed when you were younger and you are appreciated beyond what you know it you know you're the way you feel right now is not a reflection of the journey. So it's it's something that I like to keep in mind. It's also something that I feel like kind of keeps me centered in this work because a lot of people, um, as their platform grows, so does their ego. And for me, I like to remind myself that I 
today if it wasn't for my readers and subscribers. I would not be where I'm at today if it wasn't for the fact that all these people bought my book. So the least I can do is, you know, like I said, be the person that I needed when I was younger, is be there for them, be, you know, a positive, supportive person within my platform as opposed to just allowing it all to get to my head. Because at the end of the day, when you're a writer, yes, writing is a very lonely job and you're doing it by yourself, but you cannot succeed as a writer alone. You need your readers, you need your audience, and you need a lot of writer friends, you need a lot of networking, all that stuff. These people help to get me to where I am at today, and that's something that I'm very grateful for, and I just want to continue showing gratitude in different ways. It definitely does take a village. And I think a lot of times, sometimes when people reflect on the harder times in their life, they feel a lot of shame and it kind of translates into how they act. And it's a little bit easier to gather an ego because you're trying to distance yourself as far away as you can from like the struggles that you had um, a time ago. So I just, I have a lot of respect for that. And Jenna, thank you so much for coming on the podcast today. It was lovely speaking with you and... I'm glad that we were able to kind of dive into a little bit of why you do what you do. If people want to find out more about how to keep up with you and your projects, where should they go to find you? Well, first of all, thank you so much for having me. This was an absolute blast. And I, I like the philosophical questions because usually everyone asks me, like, how are you? How do you become successful on YouTube? And it's fun to talk about something, you know, a little bit more depth. <laughs> But anywho, um, if you want to follow me, the most obvious place is my YouTube channel. It's youtube.com slash Jenna Moresi. That's M-O-R-E-C-I. You can also find me on Twitter and Instagram at Jenna Moresi. You can find me on Facebook at author Jenna Moresi. And I'm also on BookBub at Jenna Moresi. Basically, I'm just all over social media. Just Everywhere. My name. Exactly. And if you want to check out my books, you can read The Savior's Champion and The Savior's Sister. They're available wide, which means they're all, all major retailers. You can even get them at Walmart. Um, but obviously, obvious places are Amazon, Barnes & Noble, Kobo, all that good stuff. And they're available in ebook, paperback, audiobook, and hardback. And be on the lookout for The Savior's Army because it's in the works. I cannot wait. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. You're welcome. And I will link all the books down below. It's an experience. It's a fun experience, too. Thank you. You're welcome. I tried. I tried. <laughs> but Jenna, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. And everyone else, thank you so much for listening. Thank you to all of our listeners out there. As always, you are the most beloved and make all of this magic possible. The Ranger Corner podcast can be found on iTunes, Spotify, SoundCloud, and all standard podcast streaming platforms. Until next time.